The Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah tells us that there are four Rosh Hashanahs, there are four times of judgment for different things. And the Mishnah tells us that Rosh Hashanah, the first day of Tishrei, is the day when the entire world, kol ba'i olam, every occupant of the planet is judged. Every human being, 6.5 billion individuals are judged. But the Mishnah is very specific in the way it says they are judged. Rosh Hashanah kol be'olam ovrim of kivnei marom. Every occupant of the planet passes in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as does a sheep to the pasture, and then the Mishnah quotes a Pasuk. The Gemara, a few blot later, discusses what the Mishnah means by this expression as sheep, and there are various metaphors that the Gemara says. One explanation is that just like a shepherd will allow his sheep to go out into pasture through a very thin entranceway so that he can count them, so too Hashem makes sure that each individual is judged separately. Rather than judging the 6.5 billion people through one simultaneous judgment, Hashem judges each individual separately, much like the shepherd puts each sheep through a separate sort of corridor to keep them separate, so too Hashem judges each individual separately. And there are various explanations in the Gemara for what exactly the metaphor is, but the point that everyone agrees on is that every individual is judged separately. And the question on this Gemara, I think, is rather obvious, and that is that Hashem is kol yachol. We've spent the past two Shmuzim dealing with some examples of that and some manifestations of that, but it should be quite clear and obvious to everyone that Hashem can judge the entire planet in one fell swoop. For instance, as an observation, when you're in Shul Rosh Hashanah and you're davening, I want you to think about the following very interesting concept. Here I am conversing with my Creator. My Creator understands where I'm coming from, knows exactly what matters to me, knows exactly my inner intentions, and hears my words. But there's a fellow standing next to me who also has a background, a history, who's also headed somewhere, who's also making requests which are likely very different than mine. And there's a fellow next to him and a person next to him. And in our shul there may be 400 individuals, but there are many, many shuls and many, many communities, many, many cities throughout the globe simultaneously speaking to HaGadosh Baruch Hu, And Hashem hears every one of them, understands exactly where they're holding and reads right through them like a book. Meaning, one of the very basic tenets of our religion is one of the animamims that the Rambam says, Animamim Hashem knows every action of the human race, the and all of their intentions, all of their thoughts. Meaning Hashem knows all, Hashem hears simultaneously each of our tefillahs, Hashem is able to process all of that simultaneously. And therefore the question is, why does Hashem have to judge each individual separately? And why specifically is the Mishnah telling us that each single individual is judged on his own, he's alone in din, why does Hashem do it, and what is the Mishnah trying to tell us by informing us of that fact? And to answer this question, I'd like to spend a little time on a slightly different topic, and that is an observation as follows. We spend a lot of time trying to grow in Yerushalayim. We spend an awful lot of time trying to understand why we're here, what life's about, and where we're headed. However, there's a very basic reality that I think you'll quickly note to be true, 
And that is very, very few people really fear the Yom Adin. Very few people fear judgment. Now, listen, we're all intelligent people. We're all rational. We all know that at a certain point, I will leave this earth. I, the one who I'm speaking to you, I, the occupant of this body, will pass away. The body will be buried, but I will stand in front of Hashem, and every action of my life, every thought, every deed, everything that I was involved in, Hashem will judge me on. So you'd assume that I would have a pachad, a fear that was palpable, a fear that would run right through me, that imas adin of, oh my goodness, I am going to have to stand in front of Hashem on Yom Adin. And the reality is that we don't. And the question is, why not? Now, one part of the answer is obvious. And the first part of the answer is the fact that none of us recognize the single obvious fact that we're going to die. As we've explained many times, <coughs> says there's a society of people who die. There's a group of people, the older people, the unfortunate people, the sick people. I'm not a member of that society. And that reality is operating in every human being's mind. As much as I may be able to state to you the statistical odds of a person of my age, my health, dying, it's in theory, it's far removed, and it's distant. However, a person can work on this. And if a person works on it, they begin understanding it, they begin having it become real, and this reality that I will leave this current existence becomes much more right there in front of them. But even if you do that, I think there are three major obstacles to fearing the din. Three major problems why it is that you and I don't fear judgment when we leave this earth. And the first one I'll explain to you is follows. Most people, when they think about Yom Adin, think of it in the following understanding. It's kind of like a pass-fail test. There are college courses that you can take, not by grade or point level, but pass-fail. If you pass it, you get credit. If you fail it, you don't. I think in the back of our minds, most people think of the world to come in a pass-fail kind of manner. Meaning like this, we're all a bunch of angels. Well, just there. If you're in, you're in. Oh, you have bigger wings, I have smaller wings, but we're all there together. It's going to be great. I'm okay, you're okay. We're all in this beautiful, wonderful world together, and it's pass-fail. As long as you get in, you're good. Okay, now, if that were true, it would be wonderful, but I don't believe it's accurate at all, whatsoever. There are many, many, many places where Chazal tell us over and over that there's a very exact grade that you're given, a very exact position that you share, not just letter grades, but down to the minutia 99.87.32, down to the very, very fine, fine point. And that, fast, that first mistake that most people make of the pass-fail, I think is, isn't that hard to overcome. But there's a second mistake that many people make, and that is they think of the world to come as a GPA average. I mean, my grade point average is a accumulation of the various subjects that I took. I got an A in this course, B in this course, C in this course. Overall, what's my grade? My average is 3.5. And with that, that is where I'll be in the world to come. And that also is a big mistake. Because it's not your grade point average that gives you your rating. It's every subject is relevant. And if you'd like a muscle to help explain this, I know, Baruch Hashem, I have teenage daughters, and one of the 
experiences of being a father of, a teenage, of teenage daughters is the fact that you become aware that to girls, their looks are very, very important. Their looks are not just... They couldn't care less about guys. They rate themselves amongst themselves on how pretty. But if you think about it, pretty or beautiful is not based on one criteria. If you ask guys who are in Shaduchim, and I think it's a little bit of a Mishigas, you could have a very attractive young woman, but if she's overweight, ugh, I won't go out with her. Again, I believe it's a rather insane concept, but the point is, many people will look at an attractive woman and say she's overweight, ugh, I don't like her. So weight, figure, clearly is a part of it. But let's even say you have a woman who is trim, the skin is a big factor. You could have a very perfect face. All the facial features are perfectly designed, but she has bad skin. Ugh, ugly. You could have a woman who's very properly formed with a perfect skin tone, but she has a nose that doesn't fit the face. Ugh, and stand ugly. Ugh, I can't even look. If you have the first three in line, but she has buck teeth, Oh my goodness, buck teeth. I can't even look at her. I'm not going on a second date. Why? Because I cannot even look at a person. And when you start realizing that hair, the facial features, height, are many of the different dimensions that go into beauty, what you understand is that beauty is not monolithic. It's not weighed or measured in one single criteria. And so too, who you and I will be for eternity is not measured with a grade point average. <clears throat> it's not just he's a good guy or he's not such a good guy. Exactly who I am, exactly which midah I worked on and perfected, exactly which ones I didn't. He's a really big, big balkas. What a temper. Oh, he's a very humble person. <clears throat> I see he really, really developed a sense of nadivas of generosity. I see his Yerushalayim really shown exactly what we made ourselves into, we will be for eternity. And if you'd like a very powerful illustration of what this means, the next time you're at a wedding, I want you to think the following. The band starts to play that introductory music, you realize the chosen and color are soon to come out, and the fever pitch begins to build and build and build, and finally the band leader takes the mic and goes, ladies and gentlemen, introducing for the very first time, Moshe Schwartz! And you walk out, and every single eye in the world focuses on you because this is your Yom Hamisa. This is the day you left this earth. This is the day that you stand naked, bare, without any physicality, not able to hide behind anything. I show up exactly what I made myself into in front of the whole world, and everyone sees me for exactly what I am. And that is Yom Adin. That is prior to the Din. That is after the Din. That is who I am. And that is who I am forever. When you understand that, you understand that it's not about I'm a good guy or a bad guy. I'm okay. I'm in. I'm not in. It's a very exact measure of exactly and precisely who I am. But there's a third mistake that many people make when it comes to Yom Adin. And this is a more egregious one. And that is, many people take the following attitude. Listen, it is true I do things that are improper. I'll admit to you I do things that are wrong. But I do a lot of things that are good. And therefore, on balance, 
When you take the good and you take the bad, it measures pretty well. The good outweighs the bad, so I'm doing okay. On balance, I'm all right. Says the Mesut Sharm, that is a fatal error because there's no on balance. For the good, you'll be richly, richly rewarded, and for the bad, you'll be very, very seriously punished. Because both are real, both are present, and the good does not wipe away the bad, nor does the bad wipe away the good. <clears throat> Just like if I've ever done a maisatov, if one time someone needed something, and I really, really acted in a totally selfless manner, I went out of my way and really strained myself to do something for another human being, I expect to be paid back for that. I wouldn't expect Hashem to say, listen, I don't really want to count that one. I expect to be paid back for every good. <clears throat> so too, says Mr. Sharm, I'm paid back for every bad. Both are weighed, both are measured. And when you understand this, you have a very different understanding of what Yom Ad-Din is about. Every single act of my life, every single utterance that I spoke, every single thought weighed measured and accounted for and reflects on me for eternity. And with that understanding, you begin to understand that Yom Adin is a rather frightening concept. Mr. Sharm says that it is roi, it is fit for a person to constantly be filled with fear of it. Not a negative, debilitating fear, but an empowering, invigorating fear because I can change, I can grow, I can use my time appropriately. And says Sharm, this should be a very powerful, motivating force for a person. However, this Yom Adin is very, very different than the Yom Adin that we stand on Rosh Hashanah. You see, the Yom Adin, when I leave this earth, is very specific, very exact, and it's me. There's no pass or fail. There's no grade point average. Exactly what I did that's good remains with me. Exactly that which I did which isn't good remains with me. And that's me for eternity. But that's the Yom Adin when I leave this earth. The Yom Adin on Rosh Hashanah is vastly different. The Yom Adin on Rosh Hashanah is exactly the way people mistake the Yom Adin in the world to come. Meaning, it's a very, very different sort of din. You see, before I was created, I was given a very specific life setting. How tall, how much intelligence, what type of temperament, what type of charisma, all of the various skill sets, all of the various talents were laid out for me. No human being that I know woke up one morning and said, I believe you should create me with a 180 IQ. No, make it an 80 IQ. Hashem, I believe you should make me glib and articulate. No, Hashem, give me a stutter. That would be real good for me uh, to go around the world with. Hashem, give me this talent to give me that. No one chose who they would be. I was given a very exact stage setting, very specific talents, very specific abilities, and my temperament itself, my inner nature is set to a very large extent. I'm weighed and measured based on what I accomplished with that, how far did I go with that, where did I take that to? The din on Rosh Hashanah is one simple question. And that simple question is, you were created and born to live 120 years. Are you now ro'i, are you now fit to continue that existence? Based on what you've done, based on the way you've used your time, based on where you're heading, is that what's appropriate? Is that what's proper? Is that what you should be receiving? And it's not just life, 
It's all of the various criteria. It means health. It means parnasa. It means every success in every area. The question is, this is what you were predetermined to have. Are you fit for that? Are you ready for that? And more than that, is it good for you? An interesting statistic that I haven't quoted before, and they say that 80% of lottery winners are bankrupt within five years. I won big! Wow! I won it! Yeah, let's go! Within five years, it's not that they're no longer wealthy, not that they're no longer well-to-do, they're far worse than they were before they won. They're now bankrupt. 80%. Why? Because the vast majority of people cannot handle bracha, and certainly not excess bracha, and you have to be a balmadrega, you have to be worked out. You have to be a person who's sober, who's solid, who's really got his feet on the ground. And it could well be that there are many things that we're fit for by destiny, many things that were determined for us, but we're not ready for them yet. And the din of Rosh Hashanah is very, very complex. There are many features that run into it, but the issues are based on where I'm holding now, what am I fit for, what am I royal for, what should I get this year. And here is a very simple and important observation. If you have ever been in court, you'll know the majority of the time is spent on information gathering. There has to be witnesses brought, there has to be testimonies given, all of the evidence is brought in, all of the facts are decided upon, and finally, at the very end, there's a moment of deliberation. Now, if you think about it, Rosh Hashanah should take about that long. Why? Because Hashem knows everything already. Hashem was with you in Cheshvan when you were you shouldn't have been. Hashem was with you in the previous Tishrei when you grew and you accomplished and you made a major life-changing decision. Hashem was with you the entire year when you did the good, the bad, and the indifferent. Hashem doesn't need time to judge you. Hashem doesn't need a Rosh Hashanah to suddenly discover where you're holding. And if you'd like to understand what really happens in Rosh Hashanah, is there's no fact-finding. There's no information that's gathered. Hashem knows everything, your entire life that transpired, your entire year. But there is one thing that happens in Rosh Hashanah, and that's deliberation. What it means is Hashem judges you. And judgment on Rosh Hashanah is vastly different than normal judgment. You see, Beisdin Shalmata judges one thing, innocent or guilty. If you stand in front of a Beisdin in this world, there's only one criteria that they judge on, and that is, did you murder the fellow or did you not? Do you owe the money or do you not? Chayev or Pater, guilty or innocent. But that's not the judgment on Rosh Hashanah. The judgment on Rosh Hashanah is very, very different. Hashem judges the extent of innocence, the extent of guilt. The deliberation is about who you are. You see, if I did something, it's not necessarily the same thing as if you did it. Yosef Atzadik spent two years in prison. Two extra years in prison. Why? Because if you remember that Shmuz, after ten long years in a dank smelly dungeon, not seeing the light of day, a miracle happened, two very high-ranking officers were put into his very prison, each of them had a dream, no one can interpret the dream, Yosef explained exactly what they mean, one will die, one will live, 
in fact, the one who was brought back to the, bring the coast to Paro, on the way out, Yosef said, remember me to Paro. I gave you this, I parted this dream, I explained it to you, I did you this good service, remember me to Paro, explain to Paro that I'm here, I'm an innocent man, I was put in here inappropriately. Because of that, Yosef was destined to spend another two years in prison, he was punished. And you may say, what was he punished for? Perfect Ishtadlis. A minister is there, you see miraculous steps transpiring, he's going to be serving the coast, the cup to Paro, ask him to intercede on your behalf, a perfect Ishtadlis. The answer is there was some element of desperation in what Yosef did. There was some element of relying on someone who's not reliable that indicated that he doesn't totally rely on Hashem and he was judged very, very harshly for it. My friends, if you and I were ever judged based on that criteria, it would be over before we began. And the reality is that we're judged by a very, very different standard than was Yosef at Tzaddik. You see, where I'm holding is a different place. I was born into a different generation, I was born in a very different set of circumstances, a different family, different upbringing, I had a very different life than Yosef Atzanik did, and I have a very different neshama, a different personality, and different tkunos, natures, inclinations, and I'm not judged the way he, he is. And that, my friends, is a very big yesod. Every human being is judged by a different criteria. Because the question isn't objectively, is it a mitzvah, is it a vera? The question is for you, based on where you're holding, based on where you're at. Was that appropriate? Was it inappropriate? Should you have? Should you not have? How difficult for you was it? How easy was it to resist? What was the level of your culpability? It's a very demanding, very exact criteria, because it's not guilty or innocent, it's the extent and therefore, I believe each individual is judged separately. Because my judgment is vastly different than yours. I'm judged with a very different set of criteria. But there's one more part of the judgment that is also separate. You see, not only do I have a different background, upbringing, education, and personality than you do, but the very judgment system that each individual is given is different. One person may have done a tremendous act of chesed one time in their life, and for the rest of their life they carry that forever. Forever they carry that as a special schus because they one time did something great. Another person may have done the opposite. But each individual has a very different system of judgment based on who they are. And the amount of balance between rachamim and din that we've described before changes for each individual. And what that means quite simply is that the standard that you're measured by is not the standard that I'm measured by. For you, maybe 60% din, 40% rachamim. For me, it may be a very different criteria. But each individual is judged with a different standard, a different way of measure. If you'd like to know what the Gemara is telling us, I believe it's telling us the following. Each individual has to be judged separately because the diyun, the judgment is separate. Unlike a mortal court that judges based on the facts, that's not what Hashem does on Rosh Hashanah. Hashem's deliberation is upon one thing. Where were you when you did it? Where were you holding based on your background, based on where you were coming from? I don't care if ten other people look similar to you. That's not the issue. The issue is you. How good, how bad for you was this? And what's the standard of measure that you're going to be judged by? How much rachamim, how much din is going to be used? 
And when you understand this, I think you understand a tremendous principle in judgment. You may wonder what good is all the begging and entreating, imploring Hashem, have mercy, Hashem, have mercy. Either I'm innocent or guilty, judge me and finish. Get it over with. But the answer is, what I'm doing with the begging, entreating and imploring is one simple thing. I'm asking Hashem to use a different system of judgment. Hashem, judge me with more rachamim. Hashem, judge me with more mercy. Use a more merciful system. And with a more merciful system, my din will be very different. Your din may not, but mine will. Because I'm asking Hashem to change the system of judgment, to look at me more favorably, and to use a different way of measuring. And when you understand this, I believe you understand that the din on Rosh Hashanah is a very, very, very susceptible to change. Because one small difference in the standard of measure can make a huge difference across the gamut of the human fate. Ramaisa, there are many, many issues that are judged on this day. Obviously life and death, health and well-being, parnasa, success in every endeavor, Across the gamut, my entire future, my entire year is weighed, <coughs> measured, and it's greatly, greatly impacted by my tefillahs on Rosh Hashanah. And with that, I want to share with you one interesting thought. There is Allah that when you blow the shofar, it should be done with umad. You should blow the shofar standing up. The Mughal Ram discusses the following. What happens if you're leaning? What happens if when you're blowing the shofar, you're leaning? Is that considered standing? Or is that considered sitting down? So Magaram explains that if you were to take away that object, what would happen is the definition. If I'm leaning and you were to take away the object and I would fall, that demonstrates I'm not standing. This object is holding me up. I'm not standing on my own. And therefore, it's like sitting. If you would take away the object and I would remain standing, then it's irrelevant and it's considered like a trilis if I'm standing. And I believe that this is a very apt muscle for the following observation. If you are paying attention to what's happening in the world today, you'll find that there are major shockwaves going across the world. When Lehman Brothers is potentially out of business, when major financial institutions, employers of 30,000 people are bankrupt, and the entire Wall Street is in a tremendous, tremendous upheaval, when the stock market itself it looks like it's so, so ready to crack. The question is, what do you feel in your heart? If you open the paper and you say, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, this is unbelievable. Inflation is 10%. The, the, the financial predicament has never been this bad since World War II. This is the worst situation in the past 40 years, maybe 50 years. This is, who knows where it's going to end? I'm in big trouble what you've now found out is an interesting thing about yourself. You, as most people, rely very, very heavily on the economy. In the U.S. economy, I trust. In treasury bonds, I trust. In the stock market, I trust. My animamin is animamin bemuna shalema in the power of the dollar. Animamin bemuna shalema in the strength of real estate. In gold, bullion, that's my God. If it sounds comical, it's not that funny. Because if you feel a sense of desperation, 
when you read about the market potentially crashing and you feel that you're in deep, dire straits, what that indicates is that's what you're relying on. And by the way, folks, it is a bit frightening. You know, if you ask economists to tell you what happened in 1929, the Great Depression, could you define for me, sir, what made it occur? Well, consumers lost confidence. Why? I don't know. But, sir, you have a PhD in, in economics. Could you explain to me what? I don't know why. Alan Greenspan just said this. You read on CNN. He just said those words. The reason why the real estate market crashed so badly, it wasn't just that subprime market was hitting foreclosures. It's that no one can predict the person's, people's reaction to things, and the market wasn't ready for the lack of confidence. Why do people lack confidence? I don't know. All of a sudden, do you know? No one knows. And there is no reason. And I said to my wife the other day, I said, it's a good thing that the good Lord runs the world, not me and you, because we'd be in big trouble. And if you think about it, it's a pretty scary scene. And if you think about it, and you understand that it's Hashem who created the world, and Hashem who runs the world, and that every single time the market goes up or the market goes down, that's the Yad Hashem, that's Hashem's decree. Every single point that drops in the Tao is absolutely under Hashem's direct control, decreed on the previous Rosh Hashanah. You have a vastly different sense of the market. You have a vastly different sense of your position in the world. And you don't have this tremendous pachad. Could it be that it'll crash? I doubt it. Because the good Lord runs the world, not you and me. But it doesn't matter because my michya, my sustenance is guaranteed by Hashem. My sustenance is guaranteed by Hashem. That's upon whom I rely. And therefore this huge fear doesn't affect me. And I believe that that is a major, major schus and a major, major taina to walk into Rosh Hashanah with. When you're davening on Rosh Hashanah, and there are many, many things to daven for. If you have children, you know that there are thousands of things to daven for. If you're married, you understand that Shalom Bayis is a very, very fragile thing. If you're not married and you're looking for a shidduch, you understand that there are tens of thousands of eligible women who look like they might be right, and it's an issue of finding the right one. And if you're married and if you don't have children, you understand what a big deal it is to have children. There's an awful lot to daven for. And what do you bring as a schus? What do you bring as a merit? How do you say to Hashem, Kum tzumir, it's coming to me. Hashem, you owe me a wife, you owe me children, you owe me a house in the suburbs, you owe me a car, this is what I deserve. If you say that, first of all, you're not too smart. It's unlikely that it's true. And it's not a wise tactic. I have a very simple tactic that I recommend you use. And that tactic is to say as follows. Hashem, you created me. You put me on a planet. This is what I need to serve you. I want to serve you, and I want to serve you the way you want me to serve you. But this is what I need. I need a wife. I need a house. I need a car. These are things that I need. Hashem, please help me. In what merit should you grant me them? In one simple merit that I trust in you, I rely on you, you're my creator, you're the manning of the world, and I put my trust in you. And in that schus, I'm asking you, Hashem, to have rachamim. That tefillah can very, very much change the din. It can change the din because it changes the system of judgment. 
<coughs> changes it from Rachamim to Din, from Din to Rachamim. It changes because I alone stand in front of Hashem, not judged based on anyone else's criteria. There's no objective criteria. I'm not judged compared to you, nor you compared to me. I'm judged based on me and me alone. And the issues are, where am I coming from? <coughs> what am I about? And what standard of measure should be used for me? And a tremendous source to change that standard of measure is to say to Hashem, Hashem, I rely on you. You are my rock. You are my creator. And I can't do it without you. I think this Gemara has a tremendous lesson to teach us. The reason why Hashem separates each individual is because each individual has a separate diyun, a separate judgment. The judgment on Rosh Hashanah is vastly different than the judgment in the world to come. See, in the world to come, I'm judged for eternity, and that's who I am forever. The judgment on Rosh Hashanah is vastly different. It's just about this world. It's just about my life settings. It's just about the stage settings. Will I get this prop or that prop? Will I be put into this scene or that scene? To a large extent, it's irrelevant. To us right now, it's very big and very important. But in the major scheme of life, it really isn't that important. And it could well be that you're supposed to get X situation, but it wasn't good for you right now. And Hashem had tremendous rachamim and didn't give you whatever it may be. Didn't give you panasa, didn't give you a wife, didn't give you the house, didn't give you the car, because that's what you needed right now, because it would have ruined you to have it too early. Because the judgment on Rosh Hashanah is just about this world, just about your future here. The judgment when I leave this earth is vastly different. The judgment when I leave this earth is about who I'll be forever. And there, again, the three mistakes are, it's not a grade point average. It's not, you know, pass-fail. Did you do okay or not okay? We're all together as angels. It's exactly who I am, what I shape myself into, is what I am for eternity. I walk out like when that person comes into the chasana and he announced, Moshe Schwartz has now arrived. Everyone sees me for exactly what I am, but that's not the dinner on Rosh Hashanah. The dinner on Rosh Hashanah is alone. It's alone because each person has their own situation, their own background, and they're judged by a different criteria. And I'd like to close with one last observation. And that is that I believe there's one more lesson that this Gemara is telling us. And that is that alone in Din is very indicative of our situation in life. If you've ever, had, if you've ever seen a boxing coach, a boxing coach will take the fighter, he'll train the fighter, he'll work with the fighter, he'll show the fighter, he'll make the fighter to everything the fighter can be, but at the end of the day, the fighter gets into the ring, and the question is, who are you? How much guts do you have? How much courage do you have? How much grit are you made of? And oftentimes, you could be the best trained athlete in the world, you could have all the right moves, you could look so good on a heavy bag, but when they put you in the ring, you fall apart because you lose the heart, you don't have the guts, you don't have the courage. And that, my friends, I think is a very huge episode. You can learn Torah, you could learn Musr, but you're going to come to life in the Shonas. You're going to come to tests, and in that situation, there's only one person, and that's you. You see, who you are for eternity is based on how you act in those situations. When no one else is there, no one else can do it for you, it's your fight, it's your battle, and that's the ultimate decider of who you are for eternity. 
And as much as you could have friends who are in your corner, as much as you could have people who believe in you, as much as you could have people who say, come on, you can do it, you can do it, at the end of the day, who you are forever is based on one single criteria. You reach deep down inside and say, I'm worth it, I'm going to fight for this, and I'm going to truly make myself into what I can be. And for that reason, a person is judged alone on Rosh Hashanah, because at the end of the day, who he became was not his community, who he became was not his yeshiva, who he became was not his rebbeim or his wife or his children, who he became is who he made himself into. He was that fighter, he was in the battle, did he reach down within himself and say, I'm worth it and fight and win, or did he lose? And that is an issue that's based on one person and one person only, and that's me. Baruch Hu grant us the wisdom, understanding, ability to put this into practice. Just in closing, again, I apologize, there will be no hot tashmuz, and I want to give you a shkach, I didn't say it early on, this microphone, which I hopefully you hear very clearly, a shkach to David Blau for sponsoring it. Thank you.